0: Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success.
1: Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. Hi, welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in the veterinary profession. I'm Mike Pannell. And as usual, I'm joined by Katie Arline. Hey, Katie, how are you?
0: I'm just Andy, Mike. Thanks.
1: What is new and exciting?
0: uh you know not a heck of a lot here we are in uh the northern hemisphere looking at a bunch of rain which takes us i guess today is the first day of fall technically so you You're know right. we're, yes we're sliding down the slope into everybody's favorite season up here that's for sure
1: uh not everybody's i hate the fall i hate it i hate it i love the spring i like seeing green shoots of life the fall just means winter's coming It's beautiful for a couple of weeks, the leaves. Yeah, stunning. We have a a new veterinarian working for us who's from Mexico, and he's never seen the leaves change. And so I've been sort of priming as like, I saw him yesterday. I said, the next couple of weeks are going to blow your mind. And then unsaid was, and then it's going to get really ugly before it snows. And then it's cold. And then yeah, until mid-October, fabulous. Hey, before we jump into it. What's new and exciting is a new service offered by Oculus Insights. So just listen to this for a few seconds and we'll jump right back into the articles. From any business questions to personal obstacles impacting your career, Advice by Oculus has experienced advisors and personal coaches from within the industry to help you be more successful and a more satisfied member of your veterinary team. Each one of our advisors specializes in different areas to ensure we can help you. Whether you're a veterinarian, technician, receptionist, practice owner, or manager, Advice by Oculus offers confidential and convenient solutions to your pressing concerns. With three easy steps, you can book your first session at oculusinsights.net backslash Advice by Oculus.
0: All right, so the article that I am talking about this week is pretty bluntly called How to Tell Leaders They're Not as Great as They Think They Are. And this is another wonderful article from HBR, Harvard Business Review, and it is by a gentleman called Tomas Chamorro from Music. Apologies to him if I pronounced it wrong, which I most certainly did. This sort of goes right into what we were just talking about, where, you know, how do you actually tell the leader that they're not wonderful? So what's talking about here is In the last few years, we've really sort of created this self-help and self-belief world, which I don't think is a bad thing. You know, the Brene Brown era, people really working on their self-confidence. And generally, that's a positive thing. But it can be a downside, particularly for leaders. And there are a couple of reasons why. So first of all, you know, obviously, you overestimate your abilities, and then you fail. So that's, that's obviously a downside. Or I think this is sort of more relevant to the workplace is, fooling other people into thinking you're competent, which has negative consequences for them in the future. Uh, So, you know, you may come across initially as charismatic, you're competent, uh, but in the long run, your followers are at risk. So to contrast that, if you're aware of your limitations, then you're less likely to make mistakes that put people and organizations in danger. You know, you're going to ask for help, you're going to look into consultants, you're going to be vulnerable and authentic about what you don't know. So this author uh has a book called The Talent Delusion which I think I'm going to pick up it looks really interesting. And he did a bunch of research and I'll just go through it here relatively quickly. So if we're looking at leaders across all industries, talent is distributed pretty evenly. You know, you're going to have people at the bottom, you're going to have people at the top. When you stratify it, it's pretty even. But 80% of people think they're better than average leaders. So obviously that can't be correct. So, you know, there's a bit of delusion going on.
1: I was blown away by that statistic, like 80%. I get like, oh yeah, 50%. The bigger part of the, the distribution curve is like, yeah, we're pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty excellent.
0: Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So he talks about how, and I thought this was interesting too. So working on strength-based coaching and removing negative feedback from performance appraisals are aggravating the issue. And, you know, we, we've talked before about working on people's strengths and really sort of downplaying their negative things or things that they really need to work on or things that are not as strong at, which I think is valid. But in the case of leaders, it can validate their fantasized talents. So, you know, it can really aggravate the issue because you're not talking about it in a constructive way or in a, a way every year we're going to talk about it. We're going to check in with you. So, uh, and this is particularly likely when leaders are intimidating or when they only surround themselves with sycophants. So people who agree with them, uh, and often, I mean, we've seen this before leaders shut out people who give them feedback or they try to explain away the feedback. You know, I, I've, I talked to one person recently that we work with who talked about how, you know, she's like, "I, I try and give this person feedback. And then by the end, I'm the one that's apologizing. It's like, okay, well, there's something something wrong here. You know, so they think that everybody likes them, but they've created a situation where they've surrounded themselves only with ass kissers, and that's by design. So they never see or they never get it at all, or they discount all of the negative feedback they get as just not, not useful. So there are three suggestions here for how to have this fun conversation with a leader. And it really talks about how leaders are driven by different things. And you really need to appeal to what drives them. So, for example, uh, the first point here is you want to appeal to their personal motives and values. For example, if this person is driven by recognition, which is sort of that uh, stereotype that you were talking about earlier, they care about their reputation. So if you tell them that they are seen as less capable than they think they are, they could be mobilized to act because it might make them look bad are driven by power link the feedback to their performance and career progression and i think this is a huge one particularly for folks who are thinking about practice ownership or people who want to just sort of move up in the organization you could say to them if you change these factors you'll be able to outperform your competitors and make it to the top or this will likely hold you back if you don't change it and we've talked about that before when we've talked about giving feedback especially for the star performers who we talked about a little while ago you're wonderful, but there are things that you have to change. Otherwise, nobody's going to see what you're wonderful at because these things are holding you back. These pesky, soft social skills are holding you back. And then if the leader is altruistic, so you know their their intentions are generally good. They want to be there for their staff and they really believe in their team. Then you need to tell them they'll be able to harness their team's potential and improve their employees' engagement and well-being. So, you know, if they change as leaders, then their teams are going to improve. And that's not like that's a lie. That's absolutely true. And we'll talk about it in a moment here. Uh, But, you know, all the talk that we do about employee engagement, so much of that points towards the example that the leader is setting and how people feel. We'll talk about that more here in a little while. So the second suggestion is sort of more for those leaders who are data-driven rather than people-driven. So they sort of more care about results than they do about taking care of their people, because they might think that, you know, the soft skill side is just fluffy. So you have to get, get after these people with data. So he suggests going and using tools like a 360 degree performance review. Obviously, that's huge. And the employee engagement survey, and really he talks about how uh, taking on either of these means of evaluation shows your integrity you know, showing that you're willing to open yourself up to the feedback, no matter how personally painful it might be. And then once you have the data, it can help open a conversation about the possibility of using coaching as a tool to help work on blind spots. We've talked about blind spots before, uh, but they're sort of the differences between how leaders view themselves or anybody views themselves and what other people's views are on them. So, you know, you might think that you are a super supportive leader, But then your staff are like, well, but then you sort of throw us under the bus in front of a client or you don't support us when there's a client issue. So closing that gap uh, is really something that coaching works on. And when we're talking about employee engagement, like I said before, there's so much data around how higher employee engagement results in better business unit outcomes. So higher revenues, higher profits, and most importantly, I think client satisfaction as well. And the third thing they talk about, which is something we haven't really talked about before, Uh, but using personality assessments. And obviously, this isn't like, you know, on the back page of Cosmopolitan magazine, but a scientifically valid personality assessment that's sort of been used and been validated by the community. So these reports focus on the good and the bad. And you can really focus then on the dark side personality traits that have been shown to predict leadership failure in the future. So if you think about somebody like a Bernie Madoff, who was an excellent leader until he wasn't, uh, but it can help sort of help you navigate and and recognize the pitfalls that you might fall into. And, you know, sometimes if you can use that scientific, uh, rationale for people who are data-driven, then they're going to take it a lot easier than saying, Hey, your staff are feeling really crappy because of how you treat them. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's go for data instead.
1: Can I push back on that last point? I'm just thinking about that. And I just I've done some research on like, you know, the Meyer Briggs and disk surveys and uh, how great are they? But do they really talk about uh, let's say realistic examples of bad behavior because you know, there's a certain amount that people can game those things, especially if we're talking about the leader who has a, you know, an inflated sense of self and 80% of leaders do when you're reading that it's like are you cranky in the mornings or do you come in all sunshine and roses and you're like of course i'm sunshine yeah i'm, I'm amazing in the morning i almost feel like there's almost a, an internal bias that we sort of when we fill those out we're sort of reflecting what we want to be rather than what we are as opposed to a 360 you know anonymous review where you're getting real feedback from the people that are observing and experiencing your behavior Rather than uh, a self-assessment that really is loaded with a bias,
0: I think that's a great point. But I think that this could be an opportunity to have that gap, you know, to identify that those blind spots. Mm-hmm. You know, if you fill out your personality assessment and it's like 180 from what your staff think, something isn't right here. Yeah. So maybe if that's what it takes to have that data is what it takes for a leader to to identify or to appreciate that gap, then it could be useful. But I agree with you. I mean, you'd have to be careful about the personality assessment you picked. And I think the better ones are relatively difficult to game because they ask the same sort of question in different sure. ways to identify that. But yeah, I mean, that's I it's think, not something I, that I use all that much, honestly. And I think yeah. the disc profiles and things like that can pigeonhole people when you're looking at an entire organization, but it could be a valid tool in this instance.
1: Yeah, because I remember I had a disc profile done years ago and I, I forget what you know the, the actual letter it was but i was like the that you know the minority that visionary blah blah blah, and and sort of big picture thinker and it's sort of like okay that's who i am and you sort of like well it gives you an excuse for poor behavior
0: totally yeah i mean it can pigeonhole and i think you know people you know with disc when we're talking about colors you know they're like oh i'm a red and i'm a green and i think that's all great but it doesn't excuse poor behavior you know you talked in your first article about how people think oh well this is just who I am, or I'm the boss, and I can act this way, or I'm not going to change, or whatever. And uh, so it can definitely pigeonhole people or give people an excuse, for sure. Because
1: I think when it comes down to what we're saying is, realistically, at some point, there has to be some kind of addressing of the problem, as in whether it's a 360, or somebody just finally, enough people quitting. Or the last one holding forward is like, eh, you know, people are leaving because they don't like you. I mean, it's never a comfortable situation to bring up to a leader that, hey, you're not really as good as you think you are. Yet the payoff when somebody truly commits to the change is outstanding.
0: Absolutely. There's always that risk of or... Sure. I'm going to be ostracized or they're going to find a reason to fire me or now they're going to make my life here at work hell for the next year, um, yep. which you know is something we've definitely seen before and it's just not.
1: But hey, I would say now because of the the way the market is, I think this is the best time for anybody to go to their boss and say, hey, you need to work on yourself. You need me a lot more than I need you. I can basically walk out and go work at any other vet practice. So time is on your side. Take advantage of it. I hear all these veterinary leaders now going, Mike, shut up, shut up, Mike, shut up.
0: We're here for everybody, Mike.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh,
0: okay, so just to close out the article here, the third strategy that he suggests trying is to highlight the downside of self-confidence and play up the virtues of modesty. So, and he's focused on set of studies here, and it's the article is really cool because you can just click on these and read about them. Uh, so economic studies have shown that overconfidence equals poor financial decisions and an inability to attend to social cues that highlight mistakes. That's a huge one oh, yes. <laughs> uh, financial studies showing uh, and this is interesting, and I read this article and I that was linked and it's very interesting so shows that overconfidence drives Forbes five hundred CEOs to fail to reduce their personal exposure to company-specific risk. So they're sort of blind to how they could play a part in what's going on at their company. That's huge. Yep. And business studies uh, showing that overconfident entrepreneurs are more likely to fail and to die younger than their more insecure counterparts. Very interesting one as well. A little sobering. Uh, Yeah.
1: I love my ingrained insecurity now.
0: Yeah. I know, right? Bonus. Thanks, insecurity. Uh, Thanks, gray hair. So and then (laughs) (laughs) the last one they think about are the benefits of moderate self doubt. So there are academic studies, again, that are linked in the article that show that those who that underrate their abilities tend to be more effective. I think obviously, because they're going to be looking for help, or they're going to consider a number of sources before they move forward with something. And uh, theories of motivation suggest that self-perceived deficits are pivotal for improving personal performance. So obviously, if you think there's something you need to work on and that it's going to affect your career or or your personal life or whatever, then you're going to work on it.
1: Where was this article 13 years ago?
0: Uh, Yeah, well, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then uh, he closes out the article by saying, obviously, this isn't always easily applied. Uh, And we talked about a couple of these before. So um, leaders with poor 360 degree reviews dismiss the value of the feedback that makes them uncoachable. They don't feel like the feedback is valid or they look for the reasons why, or they're like, well, who was it? And this was the situation. This was why I was actually right. And it's impossible to coach somebody like that.
1: I'm visualizing being in a room with somebody and the same thing happening. And I'm just like, I, my job here is done because there's nothing I can do. Like everybody else is wrong. Oh, that was a few years ago, and that was just. Ugh.
0: And they talk about the paradox of coaching. So, it works best with those who need it the least. And this is a bit counterintuitive, but you know, the self-aware people are ready to take the coaching and to do something with it. But they've already, you know, half the battle is being self-aware enough to know that you need help. Yeah. Whereas it works a lot less effectively in those who need it the most. So those like these uncoachable types that we're talking about, who think that the feedback just doesn't apply to them.
1: That being said, though, we have experienced stories of people who came across as completely self-aware, and they thought everybody else is wrong. It's everybody else's fault. But when either it was a three hundred and sixty or employee engagement, and I mean, it hit them with a like a load of bricks. But they became the most open keen like all right i had no idea this bias was there and it's like they want to make up for lost time and it's that's been some of the most satisfying parts of, of working with practices
0: absolutely and i think that's the majority that we found you know 100%. sending people for coaching uh 95 of the time it's transformational uh but there is that five percent where it just doesn't work or there yeah. people are just aren't willing to do the work
1: yeah What a great segue into our short little commercial break. We'll be right back with some really cool tips that I think are relevant to any practice now on just what you need to do to make sure your staff is on board. Sort of the flip side of what we've been talking about. We'll be right back.
0: Veterinary practice would be so much easier if all we had to do was treat our patients. Instead, we also have to deal with the realities of running a business, keeping and retaining staff, attracting new clients and maintaining profitability to name just a few. Veterinarians also struggle with managing the always on mentality clients expect of them while trying to maintain a livable work-life balance while also managing student debt.
1: When you add in the uncertainty and volatility of the world outside our vet practices, The business aspect of veterinary medicine can take away the pleasure of being a veterinarian, practice owner, or manager. Fortunately, we have a solution. Advice by Oculus provides online personal performance coaching and business advisor sessions that are convenient, accessible, and confidential for the veterinary profession.
0: Personal performance coaching can help anyone develop confidence, motivation, and engagement. Your coach helps you identify what is holding you back and how to overcome these obstacles so you can reach your full potential. If you are struggling with your career and the negative impact on your personal life, personal performance coaching is for you.
1: We all know it can be very lonely leading and managing a business. Often we find ourselves having to make decisions that can have a significant impact on finances, staff, and the overall health of the business without the confidence that we have considered all options before making our decisions. Having a personal business advisor with the experience and education for veterinary business management can help you clear a path to business success. We have been in your shoes and know what it takes to move forward. Advice by Oculus, consider it like telemedicine for your business or career. All right, so Katie, as you started off, biggest challenge facing this profession, regardless of where you are in this world, is attracting and retaining staff. Uh, we've talked about attracting before, but you know, there's a great article that literally came out last week, earlier this week almost, uh, from MIT Sloan Management Review. 10 Things Your Corporate Culture Needs to Get Right. And I I thought this was brilliant. And, you know, they're sort of going huge, huge, huge study they did looking at uh, Glassdoor, which sort of was where employees can review the culture of their business. And they sort of analyzed large organizations, basically in the United States. So there may be some United States bias there. Uh, They said the typical company has an average culture rating of 3.6, but ranges from 2.1 to 4.8. 4.8 is amazing. But, you know, we all know bad culture leads to bad performance, leads to higher employee turnover. So the better culture we have, you know, it's better for business. And really from what we're concerned about, it's better to keep employees. We're seeing in Ontario, I mean there's so many signing bonuses for vets to move to other practices but you know it's money's not everything and so if you got a great place to work it really mutes the impact of you know going somewhere else to get a signing bonus like you're not making it easy for somebody to leave your business so i'll do let's go down there's 10 but i think 8 is probably really the most relevant to us in our profession so number 1 and it's if this was family feud this would be number 1 with a star is employees feel respected They're treated with consideration, courtesy, and dignity, and their perspectives are taken seriously. And so much of what we've been talking about before, all I could think about was this article we're going to come back to, is that how important this one, it's more, it's what they say, it's 18 times more powerful as a predictor of a company's culture compared to the average topic. Like, that's huge. So...
0: And, you know, from doing a, so many employee engagement surveys, this is something that pops up. You know, if there's an issue with management, respect, respect, respect mm-hmm. comes up. And I mean, is around leadership, respect for the employees. We get various levels of comments and of people, you know, expounding on the the reasons they give ratings. And I think probably when we have a respect issue is when we get the most comments because it hits people so hard for sure.
1: Right. Why don't you do number 2 so, with the
0: flip flop yeah. here. Sure, sure. So number two, uh, supportive leaders. So leaders help employees do their work, respond to requests, accommodate employees, individual needs, offer encouragement and have their backs. So I think that's, it really goes hand in hand with number one, with the respect part. But, you know, if, if if people feel like their leader is there for them, then they're going to be so much happier and it's going to be such a healthier place to work versus, you know, the toxic types that we've talked about where they're never quite sure where they stand. Uh, you know, it's just not a a place where you feel comfortable. So it's huge.
1: Or it's the a client comes in and has a complaint about a service, and instead of throwing the veterinarian, technician, receptionist, whoever under the bus, you have their back and say, Well, I'm just so surprised they would do that. I've just their quality of care is outstanding. The customer is not always right. And we've had this discussion before. I think supporting your employees goes a lot further than satisfying just one employee sometimes. Third one is Leaders live core values. Their actions are consistent with the organization's values. What I found interesting about this one is when you read deeper into the explanation of that, in most businesses, the, the perception is that the leaders will not live up to the organization's values. But when they do, that's a real bonus. And it really, you know, people really appreciate it. But I thought it was so sad that the default is like, yeah, we have these values, but the leaders, they won't, they won't demonstrate them.
0: Totally. Well, and again, like, that's when you hear, well, I'm the owner, so I can do what I want.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, those places where we have maybe been less effective as a management team or as a consulting team are places where the owner, you know, we talk about this stuff and they nod their head, but the owner just sort of goes on and does their own thing. I think since we started Oculus, that's been uh, a real differentiator about about how effective change is going to come to the organization is whether the yeah. leaders believe that they have to live up to the values as well. So the fourth one here is uh, toxic managers. So just as we've been talking about, so uh, leaders that create a poisonous work environment are described in extremely negative terms. You know, we're not just talking leaders and, and influence comes from the top. So if the manager is getting crap from the leader, then the manager, you know, unless they recognize it or they're shielding the staff from leaders, then they're going to be toxic as well. And I think especially this is relevant to vet practice, because a lot of folks who become managers at vet practices, a lot of them are wonderful people. And, uh, you know, by no fault of their own, they haven't had any training on how to be a manager. It's like, well, you've been here for a while, so you're the manager now. And they're sort of set up to fail. And if all they've had is the the example of an ineffective leader or toxic leader, then I mean, that's how they're going to manage, unless they take it upon themselves to look elsewhere. So. I think that this is a huge one for sure. Yeah.
1: The next one is unethical behavior. And you think in a vet profession that this would not be an issue, but it's, it's there. It's not a huge aspect. I mean, they just said their survey of a, a, a large financial organization that 10% of the people there had been involved in some financial misconduct or and having unethical managers increase the odds that their subordinates would cheat as well. So
0: it definitely creates a rub for sure. We're so policy driven, and we're so protocol driven in the vet industry. So you know you're following that stuff, and then when you can't count on the ethics of your leader, then we have a serious problem for, for sure. sure. Uh, so the sixth thing here is benefits, and just to reiterate, this is number six. This isn't number one. This is number six. So employees' assessment of all employer-provided benefits. And when we talk about it, it's not just, you know, your health and your dental, it's what else are you providing? I guess what it comes down to is, are you providing benefits that your staff actually value? Yeah, I think that would be a huge one. That's its own podcast for sure.
1: And then the flip side of that or uh, associated rather is perks is number seven. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, throughout the pandemic, you, you, you hear vets talk about the things they do for their staff, you know, bringing in coffee or buying lunch or, What have you just, you know, I want to make life easier for people, which is valued. But number seven, really what they want is respect me. Don't buy me.
0: I would like respect soup, please. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Can I
0: get that in it? Can I get that to go for sure?
1: So and uh, number eight.
0: Yeah. Number eight is learning and development. So, and this is big, and I, this is something that we ask about in the employee engagement survey. There are, I think, three questions around learning and development. So, employees assessment of opportunities for formal and informal learning. And I think this is number eight, but it's still quite important because, you know, we've talked about studies or we've talked about drivers of engagement and how staff, you know, they're there to do a job, but they're also there to enrich themselves and to help build their career's Whether it's somebody who's starting a reception who would like to be a manager, or they'd like to do something in a different industry, how is the company supporting them to just build their career skills? Obviously, you know, relevant to the company, or relevant to vet practice, but is it something that um, is valued? And where we have companies that have a real focus on this, whether it's financial, or time, or opportunity, or whatever, you know, the employee engagement scores are generally much higher.
1: All right, so we sort of talked about uh, identifying uh, a toxic boss, telling them they're a toxic boss, but I love these tips of these are just some simple, well, I would say simple, straightforward things, not necessarily simple to do, uh, that would really, I think, really help the crunch that we're all feeling about keeping staff. So the last part of today's segment, let's talk about productivity hacks. We haven't done that for a while, so you got anything?
0: Yeah, I was scrambling a bit, but then um, I was reminded today about something. So uh, a lot of us, when I say us, I mean the royal us, have been working at home quite a bit and have forgotten how to pack for when you have to go to the office. So uh, yesterday I was working are you actually- to say,
1: like, How to dress to go public.
0: No, like, well, like, that is tough like yeah. too. I'm like, what pants are appropriate? I'm going to have to wear something with a belt. Like, ugh. So (laughs) yesterday I was working over at Mickey panel, actually, and uh, I brought all my stuff with me. And then I went to set my computer back up at home this morning. And I realized I didn't have my mouse, I'd left it at the office. So My really hardcore um, high tech productivity hack is to have doubles of things like that. So, you know, maybe have a mouse and also important a power cord for your laptop that lives in your bag that you use to go back and forth. So then you're not sort of scrambling. And I mean, for me, unplugging my power cord and then like winding it back up or you know putting it back so it's not all over the place at home when i get to my my desk it's like oh why don't i just spend 20 bucks on a new you know power cord and it just makes life so much easier so it's a little thing and it's not like it's a huge time saver but it's definitely a frustration saver (laughs) my poor right hand is just missing its mouse today for sure
1: very sad so my hack has is, is, is been revised. So I was thinking earlier this week that one of the things I, I discovered, it's not easy to do, but it, once you figure it out, it's pretty straightforward. The challenge, I'm a I, I diehard iPhone user. And what I hear from Android users is that you could set up a message reply to text messages that, hey, I'm on vacation. I'm out of the office. Don't talk to me. Know I'm back tomorrow. And we didn't really have that intrinsically in the iPhones. And so I found a way with just using drive mode and privacy settings that you can actually send out a message. But sometimes you'd use your phone during the weekend and that would deactivate it and you'd get a text and you feel obliged you should respond to it or not. So my hack was going to be describing that fix. But iPhones, iPads have come up with a new operating system, iOS 15, and in it is a thing called Focus. I'm going to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure it out yet, but basically it adds a do not disturb option when you're working and you can sort of say, okay, I'll I'll take a call from Katie. I won't take emails from anybody. I won't take texts from anybody. Uh, So you can be really granular about who can get through. And I thought, yes, finally. Uh, so that is my hack is to update to the new, if you're an iPhone or an iPad user, update to the new operating system. That's one of the features, but there are several more. It's it's really a good, it's a good system. So that's it. Well, thanks, Katie. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, uh, please don't hesitate to leave us a review or a rating on you know, whichever podcast platform that you find us and uh, share the good word about Hire the Smile. See you in a couple of weeks. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.